Hello and welcome to our first podcast for a grass half empty. Um, I'm joined by two really good friends, Jamie Green and Daniel Eggleston. How are we today, boys? I'm very good, Jazzy. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for inviting me on. Excited yeah. for whatever all- lies ahead. For our 12 fans that I've heard before, Daniel has been on before. Um, <laughs> he, he was on the football one about a year and a half ago. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm so, a, a repeat guest. <laughs> yeah, Jamie's a rookie, so we'll try and be gentle with him. Um, yes, so basically, let's just, yeah, Formula One podcast. We've not done one before, but I thought there's so much going on just now. We might as well, might as well have a little chat, see what, how we all feel. Um uh, for for all the listeners, obviously, uh, championship just ended last week. Lewis Hamilton won comfortably. That everyone knew was going to happen after week three. Um, I think it was, was it over by a hundred points or something. He ended up winning the championship. Um, yeah. And then we had a few first-time winners. We've had a horrific crash. We, the season's kind of provided a bit of everything, really. Um, for a quite a boring season, there's been bits of excitement. Um, so what what do you think, Jamie? For you, like, what's your general takes of the of the season as a whole? Yeah, it was good. Um, I did enjoy it. it. It felt really surreal. The championship kicking off in July at Austria. It just had a really weird and bizarre start. And you know, at one point we didn't even know if it was going to take place at all. Um, but I did enjoy it. I mean, it was Lewis Hamilton absolute domination. Um, but I enjoyed it. I thought the midfield battle was really good, as always, to be honest, in the hybrid era. It has been, you know, very good in the midfield. But, yeah, I, I did enjoy it. It was good to see some some new winners. Um, but, yeah, overall, it was good. Um, I can't say it was my favourite season in the world, but, yeah, it was OK. Daniel, what about you? I mean, well, how did you find it all? Yeah, I mean, like Jamie said, just having the season at all was a miracle in a way being able to uh, travel across the world get to so many places with the current restrictions in place I think and in a way with with Formula One you don't really notice the lack of fans as much as you do with football and rugby and other sports I thought it was a nice way just to switch off for a couple of hours on a Sunday afternoon and and forget about everything that was going on Uh, in terms of the season itself yeah I mean Hamilton walked it, and I think we knew from the third or fourth round the way the season was going to go. Uh, apart from the last round in Abu Dhabi, where Red Bull seemed to have the edge on them, you'd have to say that Mercedes would have won every single race on pure pace if it wasn't either for their own mistakes in races like Monza and the second Bahrain race, uh, or just tyre management, which seemed to be an issue for them. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, it was it was nice to see so much variety. It was nice that the season was a bit different. I, I like the fact that we went to all of these different tracks that yeah. we hadn't really been to before. Because I think for the last few years, it's been very formulaic. You kind of know, you start off in Australia, you work your way to the same circuits and finish in the same place. So I really liked the fact that it was all mixed up. I like that we went to Magello and to Portimao to new places to kind of old school tracks. Yeah, I mean uh, that's that's one of the things that I was going to say is that like as like fans of like like all of us have been watching Formula One for a while. Uh, me not so much as you guys, but like we remember like when races were in those kind of tracks and like when you look, like see all the um, the graphic when they put up like previous winners and the last winner was like 2002 and it was Michael Schumacher <laughs> or something like that kind of, it's just yeah. that nostalgic feeling like even though the cars now are probably not very suitable for those tracks um it was just really nice to see like a variety of different tracks and I mean some of them I think could replace some of the shit show we have just now uh <laughs> the circuit I mean we, we were talking off air like uh, I don't know Jamie you probably agree or not but uh, Abu Dhabi's all like Spain and yeah. Hungary, Monaco. Like Monaco, obviously, is never going to go away. But as a race, it's so boring. Like it's such a dull, dull outing. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah it I, was, think, like, I think Russia can go. 
Russia oh. can go. Russia can go straight, straight I mean, in the middle. What do you mean? That's the only chance Bottas has of winning a race. Give the lad that. <laughs> nah, I'm sorry. Um, we've been there. We've been there quite a lot. Um, no, it just hasn't worked. For, touching on the tracks again. See, for me, the Italian triple header, the three races in Italy, were just incredible. Um, seeing the cars around Imola and Mugello to me was yeah I should have said that was one of the highlights of my season yeah. just, it was incredible loved it yeah I could imagine that that like Imola especially for me like it was just so nice seeing the cars going on there uh, I wasn't too sure about Portimao though I feel like it's I don't know I think it was too I know it's in Portugal but I, I just thought it was quite like it's designed for bikes right essentially that it's the MotoGP's held there isn't it um yeah I just felt it wasn't quite big enough for F1 um like not enough corners and I, I wasn't a big fan of it um but all the other new ones the one track that I really enjoyed that was on the calendar this year which I would have loved was if Hockenheim was on it mm-hmm. yeah um, I, I mean, think that's, that's just one of the best tracks I I I think this season has kind of made me think Formula One would be better if rather than going to the same tracks year after year we had more rotation Say maybe you have 10 races that are on the calendar every single year, um, kind of the classic ones. And then for the rest, you kind of alternate a few in over the course of two or three years. So I think it would kind of stop the the roadshow from getting a bit stale. Um, I get that with money and the commercial aspect of everything, it maybe isn't possible. But I, I think it was good for the drivers as well to be going to tracks that none of them have raced at. Yeah, one of them was having, like they had to like play on the computer game or something for the first time to like race around yeah. top of the tracks, which I thought was that was class. Yeah. Um, but I mean, uh, Jason, Jamie, you've already kind of highlighted your one of your highlights was the tracks. Mm-hmm. Anything that's like anything that's impressed um, for the season? It could be drivers, teams. It could be could, like you know anything. Uh, what's what's impressed you and what's disappointed you? Okay, so, I mean, Lewis Hamilton was just incredible, to be honest. Uh, I know, I know <laughs> Jazzy has very strong views on this, <laughs> uh, to say the least. Um, but I, I just think he has matured and become just the complete driver. I, I think in years gone by, you could quite easily find faults and flaws in Hamilton's driving. I, I struggle to see any now. I, I just think he's become such a complete driver. So incredibly impressed with Hamilton. Were you um, impressed by when he uh, pumped off Albon? <laughs> no, listen. These things happen, Jazzy. Okay? Yeah. These things happen. Like you know, I'm not. I'm not a Lewis Hamilton he's, fanboy. Okay? He's basically. He's basically cost Albon his career now. So. No, listen. I'm not. I'm not a Lewis Hamilton fanboy at all. I just think you can't. Any true Formula One fan, I'm sorry, Jazzy, but you, you can't, you can't, um, you can't say anything bad about him on track. I think he's just outstanding. Um, I was really, really impressed with Hulkenberg, i.e. Hulkenback. Um, he, I thought he did really good um, subbing in for Perez. Um, I, I, yeah, I know. Paul Deresta did something similar for Williams a few years ago, and he did very well too, but I thought Hulkenberg did particularly well. And I was also really imp- impressed with McLaren. Um, you know, the midfield battle was really tight, and I think Sainz and Norris did a really good job, and I, f- I feel like they, um, you know, they've won that really tough battle, and I think next year, uh, I hope that they can kind of do it again. I think, you know, there's a, you know, it's, it's not felt, as you know, there's something wrong with McLaren not being at the front of the grid somehow. Um, I've been impressed with McLaren, so I would say that's that's the three things I wrote down. I've got lots of lots more too, including Pierre Gasly. Um, but that those were the three that jumped out at me. And uh, and like, what disappointed you? Like, <laughs> my biggest disappointment in, in block capital letters in red pen is Ferrari. <laughs> is Ferrari. Um, just a, a cataclysmic decline in performance uh, and we all know the reasons why um, but I just yeah just shocking really um, and obviously that had an impact on 
Alfa Romeo and Haas to a certain degree, although you know you would expect them to be at the you know towards the back anyway. But they have just been shockingly bad. Um, Valtteri Bottas, such a disappointment. I'm I'm sorry. I want to like Bottas, um, but I just wanted him to put in more of a fight to Hamilton. Um, I wanted to see, you know, Hamilton versus Rosberg again. I, I thought Valtteri was at that level. Um, but unfortunately, I, j- I just don't think he is. He's had enough chances now, and he's not. Yeah, I think it's a waste of a good seat. Still, he's I, a weird one, isn't he? Because he's in qualifying, he's there or thereabouts with Lewis. Like he's either beating him, or he's like five thousandths off him, or like five hundredths off him. Like it's so close. Yeah. And you get into a race, and he's just not got it. Like he's just kind of happy to be there rather than trying yeah. to win a championship say I can take this to Lewis I can win a title and kind of like as someone said uh, I think it was one of the Sky guys that started the year where they were like he needs like Nico Rosberg knew he wasn't better than Lewis I think under Lewis's skin and it kind of showed in 2016 yeah Lewis had that engine failure in Malaysia blah 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 but like Nico was there, there about the three years they were together. I'm pretty sure every title went to the last race, didn't it? And and Rosberg was there, there about, and he was very consistent, and he knew how to get in Hamilton's head, and he won a championship. And that's what I feel like Bottas doesn't have. He just kind of is happy to big role essentially and Mercedes just whatever they picks up podiums here and there and if he lucks into a win or two like yeah fine that'll do kind of thing and as I said that's a kind of a waste of a really good season yeah I think it is yeah and you know what um I think if I was total wolf okay I would I would keep Bottas why would you change it I just you know um I feel like he's going to be there for Forever. <laughs> well, the thing is, the thing uh, is, the thing I, is, yeah. Sorry, Daniel, carry on. Yeah, no, I uh, just, I, I, I completely agree. I think Mercedes, there's, there's no reason for them to want to get rid of Bottas. I think they're probably quite happy with the situation, because with Rosberg, the situation in the team by the end was toxic. You had two sides of the garage who, by all accounts, weren't speaking to each other. Uh, you were having two or three flashpoints per season when they would come together, and I think it really dragged the morale in the team down. Whereas with Bottas, there's there's no drama, um, and yeah, he isn't he isn't going to challenge Hamilton, but at the same time, they're still finishing first and second in the championship. They're still winning a constructors' championship by a landslide, and from a results perspective, if you bring somebody in like George Russell and you suddenly have two potential alphas in the team that's going to reignite these old feuds, open the old wounds between uh, Hamilton and, and another dominant teammate. And I think Mercedes are actually quite keen to avoid that. The problem is bringing in George Russell for the securities, where he really showed up uh, about us, is gonna ha- he's going to be banging on Total Wheel's door all of next season wanting that seat for 2021. Yeah, I mean, George, what George did was incredible. Like, coming into a car he doesn't know at all. Yeah. What was he, kind of, could he even fit into the car? And <laughs> he he outdrove Bottas the whole weekend. Like, I know Bottas got pole, but that was the only little part of the whole weekend where Bottas had George's number. I think practice sessions, all of them, George was better. In the race, he did him off the line, was comfortable. I know he was on better tyres, but he overtook him with a pretty nice move. And if you're total or if you're Bottas re-watching that ring, this guy is going to steal my seat eventually. Like, you just know, like, it's like a ticking time, right? Yeah. Like it's, and, <laughs> like, obviously that's not a good feeling. But on the flip side, as I think we talked about this, Daniel, where one of the people that probably hated that more than anything was probably Lewis Hamilton. Because he sat in the hotel watching Russell do essentially what he would have done. And he's trying to get a new contract from Mercedes, and that's probably top, taken off about five, six million from his contract <laughs> negotiations. Because Mercedes could, as as you said, like Mercedes are winning the construction. 
and Bottas helps with that. Is there anything in there, Jamie and Daniel, if Mercedes still have a car that's half a second faster than the rest of the field, that they can turn around and say, Lewis, we actually don't need you. We can go with George and Bottas and still win the constructors. No. No. I think I think Lewis Hamilton brings so much more. Um, you know, listen, there's no guarantees that someone else comes in there and performs, you know, close to Hamilton's level. I mean, yes, Russell did um, probably largely outperform Valtteri Bottas, but you know, why would they? Why would they get rid of the best driver? I mean, it's not like it's not like. Oh, no, 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 I'm not saying. I'm not saying. I'm not saying get rid of him. I'm saying if like the contract negotiations, Lewis is asking yeah, yeah. for too much and stuff. Could they use that as a nah. sort of a bargaining power where they can go? You know what, Lewis, take this, or we can. We are happy to go with our young driver for the future, <laughs> and we'll probably still win the constructors' championship. I, mean, I think, I think Toto... On you go, Daniel, sorry. Yeah, no, I think Toto said they won't, but I think it is going to be the elephant in the room, the fact that, yeah, you know, there there is another driver that can come in, can do a job. Um, and is also younger than Hamilton. Has his entire career ahead of him. I mean, Hamilton and Bottas are both in their 30s now. It's, Mercedes are going to need to, to build for the future at some point. So Yeah. I mean, one one thing I want to ask you both before we kind of move on is, do you think if Ferrari had kept up the pace from 17 and 18 uh, into 19 and 20 without the dodgy engine stuff and were potentially faster than Mercedes' title, do you think Valtteri Bottas would still have the Mercedes seat next year? That's a great question, Jazzy. I love that. <laughs> no. And, and and if it's no, if it's no, <laughs> who do you think would come in? Do you think they'd go out for a match for Stappen, or do you think they'd go for George Russell, no. or like do you think they'd go for two big men to try and win the constructors again, or would they go with the young British driver that they've got in the Williams seat? I think it would be Russell. I I I feel like Toto is perhaps to a fault very loyal to his drivers. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why they've kept on to, Val- on to Valtteri for next season. Um, I don't see them going for Max Verstappen as much as I'm sure Max's head would be turned by it. Uh, but I think Toto was very clear that Russell is the future for them. But yeah, it was a good question. That wasn't where I thought it was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, like that's the thing. It has Bottas literally kept his seat because the Mercedes is so much faster than everyone else, essentially. I mean, he's literally won the same amount of races as Max Verstappen since 2017. And that stat is shocking, considering the cars they've been in. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, if, if we rewind the clock a couple of years, you know, we all, everyone was super impressed with Valtteri Bottas. We all thought, okay, he's the next, the, the next kind of younger driver coming through. Um, I was at the Belgian Grand Prix 2014. I was sitting... At Puyong on the fast left-hander, and and Bottas was um, just incredibly, he just looked incredibly confident. Um, you know, you could tell the difference between him and Massa, and you know, it, it, but it just hasn't really, it just hasn't really worked out. I, I don't know if maybe over time, you know, the Mercedes car is just completely tailored to Lewis Hamilton and his driving style. That could be a reason for it. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really, but that is a really good question. Would they put their faith in George Russell? You know, the reason they would be getting, you know, getting rid of Bottas to bring in Russell is because, you know, okay, Bottas wasn't performing, but it would be quite that would be very risky, I would suggest. Um, Would they want to bring in more of a known quantity, maybe like a Daniel Ricciardo or a Sergio Perez or something? Fernando Alonso, bring him and Hamilton back together. (laughs) (laughs) No way, it worked well last night. I think Toto has his line of succession all, all planned out, and it's going to be mm-hmm. Russell when the day comes. That was the good little intro. We got sidetracked by the Bottas thing. Good one, Jamie. Nice. <laughs> uh, th- we've got we've got three minutes for Daniel. Your highlights. <laughs> your you impressed three minutes you for my highlights. No, you're disappointed. Who impressed you and disappointed you? <laughs> And then we take um, the quick fire quiz where we're up against each other. 
Yeah, I mean, I also had Nico Hulkenberg. So I'm going to scratch him off because we covered that. Uh, and also George Russell. I mean, it would be easy to go for the, the Hamiltons, the Verstappens. But I think even before Sakir, this was Russell's breakthrough season. I think he had a lot of publicity over the off-season with the esports stuff he was doing when he was racing against Lando Norris and Charles yeah. Leclerc. Um, and I think actually winning that bizarrely seemed to give him this confidence and momentum that I think he carried into the season. His performances in qualifying were outstanding all year. And yeah, I, I feel like there wasn't a lot of talk about George Russell at the end of last season. I think he had a he had a solid debut year, but I think Land he started at the same time as Lando, and I think Lando was getting a lot of the publicity and a lot of the attention. So I think Russell this year really kind of yeah he's, he's pushed himself into contention for a top seat, and everybody's watching him now. Uh, I'm also going to say that I was impressed with Alpha Tori because I think they really emerged as a, a solid midfield team, and they've kind of taken a step out of Red Bull's shadow. I feel. If you go back to, you know, 2013, 2014, if either of the Red Bull drivers got within a second of a Toro Rosso, they were jumping out of the way and letting them pass. Whereas this year, I think AlphaTauri really seems to have emerged as more of an independent team. There were a lot of times when, particularly Albon, was stuck behind Xia or Gasly and just couldn't get by. Uh, and I think the fact that AlphaTauri made their own decisions on who was going to be driving for them and they weren't just taking Albon on those kind of Red Bull scraps. Really said a lot about them as a team. I mean, yeah, that kind uh, of leads on quite well to the the news we just obviously had today, essentially, that Perez will be driving for Red Bull and Albon's getting chucked for a year. Um, like, what's your initial thoughts on that move? Like, for me personally, I, like, we've talked about this quite a lot, and I wanted this to happen because... I mean, we'll talk about the Perez thing later anyway with Vettel. I've got a few of the same points to make, but um, Perez, he's a solid guy. And I think I think Red Bull think they've got a shot at a constructor's title next year, whether that's just a pipe dream. But I think they've seen enough this year with Max consistently being in and around the Mercedes on certain tracks. And um, if it wasn't for his DNFs, if it wasn't for like engine failures and reliability issues he's had, he would have comfortably been second in the t- in the drivers' championship. Uh, wouldn't still been quite. It would have been a bit off Lewis, but he would have been in between the two Mercedes. And I think Red Bull know that if they can get another driver up there, not to challenge Max, not to challenge Lewis, but to just be there, they can play the strategic game because I think. I think we'll all agree that Red Bull and Mercedes are probably two of the best strategic teams going. And I think Red Bull are probably, for me personally, when they know they're in a power deficit, they're always the team that are bold enough to put different things with strategy. And more often than not, it works out. Like, for instance, in uh, China, when Daniel Ricciardo won that race, uh, I think it was last year, when his last year with Red Bull, where he Red Bull were the third fastest car. They bring him in for a safety car, put on soft for him and Max. Quite a bold strategy. And they should have had a one-two if Max wasn't an idiot and crashed into everyone on his way there. <laughs> um, like, they've always been a team that's, like, been really good at that. But when you've only got one driver up there, you just can't do that. Like, you just, you, you're kind of hamstrung by, the, like, the other team. You just can only react to what they're doing. And I think Perez... We've always we know he's so good with his tires. We know he's consistent. We know he is quick, but he may not be elite. He might not be an elite driver, but he's a good driver. He's a solid driver, and all they want is, as you said, Daniel, Red Bull don't care if Albon finished fifth or tenth. To them, that's the same. They want you to be fourth so you can help out Max pressuring the Mercedes. And I feel like Perez would do that. Jamie, what do you yeah. think? Do you think it's a good move or? Yeah. So like you, um, I. I did want Perez in that seat, and it's and it's nothing against Albon because I think I, I like Albon. Um, I think he's a good racer. Um, I think Perez, you know, he's super consistent. I'm just echoing all the words that you're saying, really. <laughs> when, whenever there's a sniff of a podium uh, or a good result, he's he's always there. Um, so yeah, I, I am really pleased with the decision. I. I I can't help but feel though that Red Bull mistreat their second driver. Um, you know, look yeah. what Pierre Gasly's doing in Alpha Tauri. 
Stewart, okay? He's doing fantastically well. Um, you know, the, the the story between Gasly and Albon is eerily similar. And, yeah. you know, I, I just can't, I can't think, I can't believe that Gasly and Albon are so far behind Verstappen. Now, don't get me wrong, I think Verstappen is fantastic and he's going to be a multiple world champion, like no doubt about it. But they need to nurture their second driver. You know, they need to give them the same opportunity. I think it's clear that they haven't been doing that for a number of years now, with the potential exception of when you had Ricardo and Verstappen together. There was a period of time where, you know, they probably were treated similarly until Verstappen emerged as, you know, the next Sebastian Vettel. Um, but, yeah, all in all, I'm very pleased with the decision. What you? I'm guessing, I'm assuming you're the same. I know you were kind of on, on the fence when we were kind of talking about this. I, but like... I, I think it's the right move for them to do for the reasons we've discussed. I think you know what you're going to get with Perez. He's going to be somebody who's consistently top five, top four, and who's going to create problems for Mercedes. Um, we saw in Abu Dhabi when Botta, uh, Alban was within you know, five, six seconds of the Mercedes for most of the race. He was stopping them from going on to an alternative strategy, maybe putting Hamilton onto the softs and kind of pushing a bit more to put pressure on Verstappen. And I think that's what Red Bull needs. Somebody who, you know, maybe isn't going to challenge Verstappen's superiority in the team, but who is going to give them alternative choices on strategy, is going to kind of get in in and amongst the Mercedes and stop them from, you know, playing games and toying with, with Verstappen when it comes to that. Essentially what uh, Kimi uh, did, right, for Ferrari with with Vettel. Yeah. Like, keep it, yeah. keep it happy. Kimi was quick enough to be up there, but he never really was going to challenge Seb. Um, and he was happy to just play the rear gunner role, um, but play it really effectively. Um, Interesting. Int- I'm just going to interrupt yeah. slightly, though, right? Do you think that because Perez isn't, you know, part of the Red Bull driver program, he's not, yeah. he's not going to be scared of Dr. Helmut Marko, okay? Um, I think he will be feistier than people think. I don't think he is going to come in and just play second fiddle, you know, every single race. I, you know, I'm not saying, I, I don't I don't think he's going to beat Verstappen over a year. I'm not saying that at all. Um, but I think... Yeah, I don't think he'll just take it, you know, lying down. Yeah. I think I, he... Yeah, I think there's going to be races where I think he'll be ahead of Max and Max will be crying on the radio asking for him to be led <laughs> by and, and Perez will be having absolutely none of it. Yeah, I was... And, yeah, like with, with hindsight, I've been very impressed with the way Perez was and a lot of the interviews because every time he was asked, he was saying, I'm not going to go anywhere next season where I'm going to be second driver. Like, yeah. this isn't going to be a discussion. And at times I was, you know, like, watching these interviews and I was like, what are you saying? Just go to Red Bull, just play, play the number two driver. Um, and I guess to his credit, he does genuinely, you know, he's, he's going there to win, he's going there to be competitive. Just um, quickly before we finish off the segment, do you think Albon is done for Red Bull? Because I know people are saying that he's the reserve driver and he can come back in 2022 and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, Sergio Perez is 30. It's not like he's, like, 37, got one year left in him. He's, he could, he could if he does a decent enough job and the team is all right, like, he could be there for four or five years. And, like, and I don't see, like, Alpha Tauri aren't going to take him back if, if Yuki Sonoda's half decent. Gasly's still doing a job, and as Gasly leaves that program. So does that... I'm just trying to see for 22 years... If Perez does a solid enough job, does that mean Alex Albon maybe has had his final race in F1? Um, if I was Alex Albon, I would be swiftly getting out of the Red Bull programme. And if another seat came up, I would be taking it. I would leave the, pro- the Red Bull programme. don't know if you feel the same, Daniel. I do. I think you saw Carlos Sainz kind of did the same thing, realised there wasn't going to be a future for him at Red Bull, left, and is now regarded as one of the best drivers on the grid. Um, I think a quick word in defence of Albon, it's 
When you look back over the last few years, it's incredible how fast his rise and fall was. I mean, he did about 11 or 12 races for uh, Toro Rosso before he was catapulted into the Red Bull seat, which, you know, is, is midway through his rookie season and he was already in a top team. It's, it, you know, it took Verstappen over a year to get into the Red Bull. Gasly and Kvyat both did a season before they got into the Red Bull. He was promoted very early on in his career and maybe he just wasn't ready for it. Yeah. And as, as, yeah, I guess I guess this goes back to how Red Bull treat their young drivers, which I'm sure psychologists would have a field day with. Uh, that was really good, boys. Uh, so let's move on to the main part of this, uh, the debate section. So before the show, I kind of gave you both a topic to argue for, and then we'll kind of have a go at you uh, for what you've said. So. Jamie, you've got a minute or two to try and convince us why Sebastian Vettel is worthy of the racing point seat over Sergio Perez. So, on you go, mate. Of course he's worthy. I mean, goodness me. Um, <laughs> the man the man is a four times world champion. He's won 53 Grand Prix. I think he's been on pole 55 times. Um, I think he is in the top 10 of all time. Some might uh, not agree, but I think he is. Um, in 2011, 2013, he was completely untouchable. I, I remain convinced that if any other driver was alongside Vettel or in that seat, I don't think they would have did as well. That's my personal view. Um, I think Racing Point or Aston Martin need a, a leader um, to take the team forward. They need, you know, a, a proven multiple race winner. And let's not let's not beat about the bush, right? Sebastian Vettel is a fantastic driver. I mean, you know, you can't be a four-time world champion and not be a fantastic driver. Not to say Sergio Perez isn't. Of course he is. I mean, anyway, it's worked out for him anyway. Okay. Um, but I, I think I think um, yeah, I think he's outstanding. And he, I think the red the the Racing Point car. Um, which is going to be this year's Mercedes, right? <laughs> I think that I think that will suit him much better. Uh, I, I think he. I don't know what happened um, this year with Vettel. I think it was a combination of multiple factors, but I think they just put all their eggs in the Leclerc basket. Um, I think Seb will thrive under a less political environment for sure. I think he struggled a little bit um, to deal with the pressure the last certainly 2019. Um, you know, Perez is a great driver, but really, is he is he going to take Aston Martin to the next level or Racing Point to the next level? I, I don't think so. Um, Seb, when he joined Ferrari, it was a project for him. It was, you know, they Ferrari were a bit a, a bit of a mess in 2014, and they need they need Vettel was part of the future, and I think he did have a big impact. I think 2015 in particular. It jumped, he came into that team and, you know, right away there was a, a big difference. And he, he really had good seasons in 17 and 18. And I think I don't think 19 was quite as bad as everyone thinks it was. Um, and I think he'll help Lance Stroll develop. <laughs> I think he I think he needs it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, let's be honest, Stroll's going to be there forever. As long as Papa yeah. is there, he's going to be there yeah. until 2035. <laughs> so, um, so yes, that's. Um, I mean, I could go on, but yeah. Well, I, well, I'm just going to counter you. So, you say all this stuff about Seb, and you know what? I completely agree with you. 2010, the, the 2010 to 13, 14, Seb was incredible in that Red Bull. But my question, what? What what have you seen in the past three years that makes you think that that's still the same Sebastian Vettel that you had that early year, the four-time world champion? I mean, for me personally, having watched Seb, and I love Seb from 2010, like I've been a massive fan of his, but I, for me, having watched him, I just don't think he's seen him since the end of 2017 when it was through no fault of his own, he lost that 2017 title. There was three races in a row, I think, at the top of my head. I think Singapore crashed, which wasn't his fault. He just covered Max like a normal person. And Kimmy just got, like, the most blinding start I've ever seen. And they had a crash. And they followed that up with a Asia, where I think he had an engine issue in the so started last and then came all the way up the field to fifth or fourth. 
And then Japan came right after that, where again, you had an engine issue and you had to retire from the race. And that's ever since that title, where it was really bad luck for Seb and he lost a driver's title. 2018 came about, and I've never seen a driver make that many mistakes who is a four time world champion. And it wasn't even like, I'll say to you, like, I've, I've got a list of a few of them because I couldn't remember all of them top of my head. But in 2018, <laughs> like, I remember him locking up in Baku. Uh, but I think he tried to overtake Bottas on the straight, locked up, cost himself a that had the horrible crash in Germany when he was comfortably winning the race, um, where he just binned it for no reason. Um, again, Bottas, he crashed into in France. He had a crash max in Japan. He had multiple spins. Like, that, that wasn't a man. You know what I mean? Like, it's not... I, I feel like something change from those three races in 2017 to Seb. I don't know what it was, but he just did not come back in 2018 as the same guy, and he's just not been the same since. Like, 2019, he was okay. Yeah, he had a couple of really good races. The Ferrari was illegally class, so <laughs> it helped a lot. And But even then, I think, it was it 2019 Bahrain where I, I remember him and Lewis going wheel-to-wheel round after second straight, that right hand, and Seb just spun it, and like no contact, nothing. Just wheel to wheel action with Lewis, and he just spun it. And it, it was just like it's just happened so much since then. And I mean, this year he's just been obliterated by Leclerc. Like it's not even been a competition. Um, and my point is just hear the stats from 2010, 14, 2010 to 2014, 14, most recent Sebastian Vettel staff. And if you if you just put up the stuff you've seen and don't say Sebastian Vettel and say that was Roman Grosjean, we'd all be here taking like laughing our heads off. So my point is, is it still the same guy? Like that's where my argument comes from is Perez is consistent. He's won races. He's doing a job. He's probably outperformed Seb on race pace in the past couple of years. Uh, he's won a race. He could have had three, po- he could have had three podiums in a row at the end of the season. Uh, if it wasn't for a mechanical failure. Is it really an upgrade, Daniel? Any input? Yeah, I think if if I can just follow on from where you left off, actually. Um, Lee McKenzie, the reporter for Channel 4, she posted on Instagram this interview she did with Seb back in 2016. I think it was in Canada when Seb was joking about... Um, seagulls. Missing, yeah, missing the seagulls. <laughs> you know, and he, he, he looked like someone who was young and who was full of energy and who was... Yeah. You know, had this cheeky smile that he did when he was winning with Red Bull between 2010 and 2013. And he's, he just does not seem to be the same person now. Over the summer, I think Mark Webber made a quote where he said, um, Sebastian Vettel is someone who will debut early, will win early, and will retire early. And when he said that, I could completely see it. I could see Seb just walking away at the end of the season because I don't think he has anything more to prove. Um, you know, he's as as you said, Jamie, he's won 53 races, had 55 poles, won four world championships. I don't think he has the same drive and the same motivation to get back to, to that level again. So I was really surprised that he actually joined Racing Point because I thought he would just walk away. Um, I don't think anything Obviously, we've seen in the last two, three seasons would suggest that he has the potential to be a race winner again. Should he be a mentor to Stroll? Maybe. But I mean, is that Stroll's why already thinking? spinning on his own, right? He doesn't need Seb. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just want to paint the picture of how much of a Seb fan I am, right? I just want you to really understand this, okay? So, beside, I'm in my office up the stairs, okay? And beside me, I have a full-sized cardboard cutout of Sebastian Vettel, right? <laughs> um, no, listen, uh, I, I'll be the first to admit that he's had a, you know, he hasn't performed, um, he hasn't, you know, he, he, the levels that he's performed at in, you know, I don't know. I think I think Germany 2018 was the cut off, Jazzy. You you think really? it's earlier than that, but I think it's Germany 2018. You know, it's been hard for me to watch, right? It's been really hard for me to watch um, his struggles. Something something happened, right? I I agree with you entirely, Daniel, about you know, watching interviews in 2016 and you know, in comparison to the last couple of years, something has happened. You know, when he joined the team, right? It was 
Sergio Marchione, right? It was Arrivabeni, and it was James Allison, right? That's com- that has completely changed, and the, there just isn't the, the atmosphere. Just feels toxic every race, um, every weekend. It, it just doesn't feel like a, a good place to be. Um, look, he, he definitely um, has made far too many mistakes wheel to wheel. Like, there's no doubt about it. It's like he gets flustered really easily. Um, it's like he he then he, he panics and overdrives and tries to fix the, the, the problem that he's in. And he, some of the, the spins that he's had in wheel-to-wheel combat just seem really strange. Like even uh, yeah. Bahrain 2019, you mentioned it, I think, Jazzy, um, yeah. where he just, Hamilton went round the outside and it was, a, you know, it was a good move. And he just, he just went. Um, and Seb still had the upper hand in the corner, right? Hamilton was on the outside, yeah. but Seb... I think because nah, the corner goes left and right again, and I feel like if you held it in there, you probably could have still battled him all the way to the heavy braking zone where you had the inside line. But I feel like he just kind of went on the power. Was like it's just not a thing. Yeah. A four-time world champion with all the experience with 55 wins and, and he, stuff does. He did almost the exact same thing. I think it was Suzuka in yeah. 2017 when I think he was going up against Max. Um, you know, it, it was one of those where he, he he was behind, and you would think from where they made contact that he was. That was 2018, but yeah, nobody crashed to Max. But yeah, just just kind of kind of touch the end of uh, touch the back of him and just spun around. It almost defies gravity the way he. <laughs> yeah. The same thing. I, I know. I, Seb Seb likes he how Seb extracts lap time is he needs to have rear stability. You know, you look at. All the all the situations that have happened, it's been because of you know he's spun right, but he seems to be uncomfortable when the rear is loose, and that I think that's why he was so dominant in Red Bulls because he was able to extract so much, he was able to extract every last tenth of a second from that car because he had this you know this confidence that the rear was going to stick. Um, I I think the, the the car design seems to have went in a different direction. He, he looked really comfortable in 2017, for example, and it just seems to have it, it looks to be poor at the, the the rear. I mean, this year the full car's poor. Let's be honest, but yeah, yeah. You know, even even last year too, um, it seemed to favour Leclerc more, who's a driver that likes a bit of rear instability. I, I don't know. I mean, look, <laughs> you know, I'm not an expert. I just I you know, it just feels. Yeah, it's, just, it's strange. It's strange. I think there is a big confidence aspect to it. I think part of his form this season was down to car development going in a way that suited Leclerc at the expense yeah. of himself. And another bit, I think he looked uncomfortable in the team, which I think is understandable the way he was treated. But a lot of it did seem to be down to, to confidence, which is, I'm going to draw an interesting parallel here between him and Lance Stroll. Because I actually think that Stroll is possibly one of the more talented drivers on the grid. I think on his day, uh, when the stars align, if it's raining, he can put in some stunning performances, as we saw when he was at Williams, as we saw when he took pole and for the first half of the race in Turkey. Um, but I think a lot of a lot of the issues Stroll has is just down to confidence. I think his head goes far too easily. Um, after Monza this year, he was lying fourth in the championship. And by the end of the season, if you exclude his podium in Bahrain, he was outscored in the second half of the season by Nico Hulkenberg. He got four <laughs> points in one race. Over, over, over nine races, Stroll got three points. He got a, a tenth place in Abu Dhabi and then the two points in Turkey. The rest of the races either didn't start because of COVID or he retired or he was outside the point. Um, and I don't know if if you're looking for a driver to develop Lance Stroll, you want somebody who's going to be consistent. And you want somebody who's, you know, level-headed and can get the best out of the car. Somebody like Perez or somebody like Carlos Sainz. You don't yeah. want somebody like Seb who is quite an emotional guy and I think is 
can be quite sensitive when team dynamics aren't going his way. And if one of the problems with him at Ferrari is he felt like he was being favoured by against uh, Charles Leclerc, don't then go to a team where your teammate's dad is the boss. It's <laughs> <laughs> not going to put you on equal footing. What about you, Dan? Did you are you on with Jamie, or do you think would you rather have Perez? I think from a commercial point of view, it's difficult. I think if you're looking at results, I don't think any anybody would have done better in that car than Perez did this year. I think if you put Hamilton or Max Verstappen in that car, they're not going to finish higher than fourth in the championship. Like that's it's just the reality of where Racing Point are as a team. Um, I mean, they finished fourth in the constructors, and their lead driver came fourth in the drivers. So, yeah. Um, from a commercial point of view, I kind of get the allure of having a four-time world champion in the car, but I feel like Seb has peaked. I don't feel like Seb is going to get better from where he is now. So, any, any, any yeah. final points, Jamie, before we move on? Just, I'm just sitting here almost in tears. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 uniform, what uniform is your Sebastian Vettel? So um, it's from 2018. Uh, he looks All happy, right. um, and <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes I just go up and give him a wee hug. Um, <laughs> um, so no, nah, l- listen, I am pragmatic enough to 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 know that he's underperformed, and I could, you know, I think it's. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with everything that you're saying. I think you. You both make very good points, um, and maybe I'm coming to this from a rose-tinted glasses perspective, um, because Seb's my boy. Um, I, I, I'm really, um, I am quite nervous for next year. Um, I, I think he, I think he will have a, a, a substantially better season. You know, it can't get any worse. Um, <laughs> so let's just let's just give him, let's just give Seb yeah. a bit more, a bit, a bit more respect. And let's give him um, the first half of the season to see how he's doing. And then we'll maybe we come back and have this debate again. <laughs> one thing I'll say before we move on to the next one, Jamie. Do you think if Seb has a solid season, I think he'll be a racing point for the next two, three years? With the new regs coming, and do you think he'll be like a title contender and that he's got a long-term plan of... I want to be here for three, four years to try and win a title again. Or do you think in his head it's just, they've offered me a seat, I can maybe be competitive. But as Daniel said, maybe his heart's not really in it anymore. He's done everything and he's just kind of there doing a Kimi Raikkonen kind of thing. No, I think um, I think he's intrigued by the Aston Martin project. And I think he sees it as, I don't want to say clutching at straws, but I think he sees it as a potential project that could could bring him success. Mm-hmm. And following the rule change, you never know, right? Yep. It could it could bring him more success. Yep. Um, do I think he's got a long-term plan? I don't think so. I think he's just going to see how it goes the next couple of years. And, you know, if he wins the odd podium, gets the odd podium, maybe might sneak a victory. You never know. Uh, I think he'll be quite happy and he might bow out at the end of 2022 or the end of this contract. But we'll see. Yeah. What about you, Daniel? Do you think it's a kind of a he has how it goes thing, or do you think Seb's kind of going new regs? We have we I saw what happened last time the regs changed with Red Bull, how it happened with Mercedes. You just don't know what team's going to come out on top. Position yourself, and as you said, you never know. You could be driving a car that's a second faster than everyone else. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really excited for the new changes in 2022. Yeah. Uh, you look same. at the current you look at the current the current grid. You could easily imagine any one of the top five or six teams competing. I don't well, think it's going to be. They've all got really good drivers, is why I look. I look at the driver lineup, and you go through them all, and they've all got at least one elite driver in there. I'd say, or like someone with experience of winning titles. So if somehow the field is within half a second of each other, you could have a case like 2012 again, where we could get race winners. You could get. The guy that wins the championship, I think Seb won in 2012, but he, Red Bull only won 35% of the races, like a third of the races. To put in 
perspective, Mercedes have won 80% of the races since 2014. Like, that, that's that's what you want to see. It's like the 2012, yeah. it could happen. Uh, so the next debate, Daniel, tell me why you're against my boy, Fernando, and why you think you should not be turned back to F1. Uh, Fernando. Okay, I, I have <laughs> two main arguments here as to why I don't think he should come back. The first one is that I don't think it's in Alonso's interest for him to come back. And the second one is, I don't think it's in Renault's interest for him to come back. So, you know, if we focus on Fernando, he said he would only come back if he was competitive and if he was fighting for wins and titles. And Renault, Alpine, call him what you will, I, I don't see them making this jump up in the next couple of years. Definitely not next season. But I also don't think in 2022... I don't think they have the team behind the scenes and I don't think they have the resources there to be pushing Red Bull, Mercedes, whoever else could be there in 2022. Um, I think it's going to lower his reputation because it's it's just going to make him appear more normal. You look at when Michael Schumacher came back in 2010. He left three, four years before on the top of his game, fighting for the world championship to the very last round of the season. And then he came back and drove for Mercedes and he just looked ordinary. He was fighting at the back, you know, fighting, scrapping over 11th or 12th place um, every week. And I think for a lot of people, it just kind of destroyed the myth a little bit. It's difficult to think of too many drivers who have made a successful comeback to F1. I mean, if you go back through history, you can you can look at people like Nicky Lauda, but by and large, and also the age that Alonso is at, I just I don't see him sticking around for three or four years and making this big push where he can claim championships. And you know, if if he was going to risk his reputation on a return, then it should have been to a top team. But I don't think that any of the top teams really want him. Which kind of brings me on to the second point, which is that he's quite a toxic guy. You know, he's he's bad for morale in the team. Um, he left Ferrari under a cloud. He The first time he left McLaren, it was under a cloud. The second time he left McLaren, he basically destroyed the relationship between McLaren and Honda. Um, and if you're Renault, if you've currently got somebody like Daniel Ricciardo in the team who gets on with everybody, is cheery, is optimistic, is uplifting. And you replace him with somebody like Fernando Alonso, who, if the rumours are, are to be believed, is forcing the team to go in on New Year's Day to work rather than taking a holiday over the Christmas period. Um, it's going to be tough. It's a huge shift in dynamic. You probably shouldn't have two drivers who are more different. And Renault have invested a lot in their young driver programme. Uh, people like Christian Lungard in F2, uh, Guan Yu Zhou, they've got Oscar Piastri. They've got a good few drivers who are coming through. Um, and you would think if they wanted, you know, competitive French drivers, there are people like Pierre Gasly, who's probably going to be available from 2022. For the long run and for stability, I think it would be better to go for them than to go for somebody like Alonso, who could very well explode midway through the season and drag the team down with them if he doesn't think they're at his level. Um, I have a lot of time for Alonso. I, you know, he is undoubtedly, in my eyes, one of the top 10 drivers in the history of the sport. But, yeah, I, I could easily see this ending in disaster the same way his move to McLaren ended in disaster as well. I mean, uh, I'll let you have a have a crack at him first, Jamie, and then I'll I'll put my bit in. I know this is a debate, Jazzy, right? But <laughs> I'm supposed to I'm supposed to rebut all this. No, you can no, you can you can agree. You can 100 agree. Jasmine, Jasmine will take you up if, if yeah, you don't. don't worry. Worry. <laughs> boy, Alonso, I'm coming at you. No, um, no, no, go for it, Jamie. You don't have to disagree with him. You can agree with him. So I largely agree. Uh, with Daniel on everything. Um, he places number six in my all-time list of drivers. Um, he is, you know, f a fantastic driver. 
Um, I think a really a really good um, interview I, I think you should listen to, if you've not done it already, was with Pat Simmons on Beyond the Grid. don't know if anyone heard it. And he basically, um, the, the, the full premise behind the podcast was talking about Alonso. And Pat Simmons was sharing, you know, his his experience of working with Alonso and similarly with Schumacher, they were drawing comparisons in Ayrton Senna as well. And the thing that Pat Simmons brought up time and time again was, you know, his inability to, um, you know, work, be in a team and not cause some sort of controversy and create a toxic atmosphere. Um you know that is the thing that he he said is his, was his greatest weakness, and he he hoped that he'd taken a few you know his few years away and going to do IndyCar, um, Indy 500, sorry, would um, maybe somehow improve that side um, of Fernando. Um, but I just I don't know. I, for me, he's we've. we've 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 seen him. He's he's came. He's won his two championships. He undoubtedly deserves more. Um, I've no doubt he. I think he'll do better than what Schumacher did in his comeback. Um, but yeah, I struggle to see the the true motivation. I know he said he said multiple times that he wants to come back to you know a winning car or whatever. But maybe he just missed competing in Formula One, and I don't know. Um, I I would. I just yeah. I think so. I think personally, you're both are completely right. Like he's obviously he's he's kind of fallen out with people wherever he's gone. Um, but the thing I draw uh, conclusions like the thing that gets me slightly excited to see Fernando back. And yes, he's what he's like 39 now. He's obviously no like young anymore. Um, but the last time we saw him in a car. That was remotely competitive, right? It wasn't even the best. It was in Ferrari and when he was challenging Seb, and the things he did in that car, like oh, like it was just incredible. Like he, I, I still remember was it the start in was it Canada one of the years where he just from the second row. Canada's not even the biggest, <laughs> and he managed to launch off the start, get into first were amazing his race pace and he just drew he just knew how to drew draw like pace out of the car and i feel like he just never had that again like since he moved to mclaren they were the williams that are now right they were just awful <laughs> like he was nowhere near even challenging for anything never mind so we just have no idea what fernando was anymore and i know you're saying daniel that like what's the point he's just gonna ruin his reputation i mean his reputation was non-existent again wasn't it right people just remember him at mclaren second stint where he was fighting for 14th place and having a go with honda for making the shittest engine in history and stuff like that like (laughs) gp2 engines yeah exactly like when they're just like if you what i've seen from renault this year and they've been very good in some races they've developed their car well daniel ricardo's had blistering performances I think he's got a shot at, I knew you say with Seb, I think he's got a shot at winning a race. Just, look, he is old, right? And I'd, I'll ask you guys this. Do you think this is just a one-year thing? Do you think he'll be there for the regs changes? Because he is 39, he's going to be 40 when the regs changes happen. Like, Formula 1 is not a sport for the oldies, let's be honest. Like, it's so demanding on the body physically. Is he yeah. here for year only, or do you think he's got a couple of years in him because if it's a couple uh, of years then I understand the move from Fernando he's seen the development he's again kind of similar to he's gone reg changes maybe I guess if it is just for this year that I kind of understand where you guys are coming from like like what's the point like you're just getting for fourth place or maybe fifth if Ferrari have got their act together um, like what are you going to actually achieve by coming back I think he'll be here for 2022. I think he's he said this is a two-year project and he wants next year to kind of get used to the team and then to be fighting more competitively after we have the rule changes. But, mm-hmm. uh, well, I'll put it this way. like If 
Because the last, as I said, we've not seen him in a competitive car in so long. We have no idea what he's like now. Yeah. Do you guys think what percentage of chance do you give him to be top three in the driver standings in 2022 if you think the cars, the Renault is up there with the other big constructors? I know that's a big if. So no, <sighs> don't think so. Maybe it's it's hard. It's a, it's hard to tell. I mean. Well, next year will tell us, right? Next year will tell us what he is actually like, because the Renault isn't dog shit like the McLaren was. Mm-hmm. Like it is. I think. I think. Yeah. One one thing that makes me feel uncomfortable about all of this when it comes to Alonso is I get the feeling he's gone to Renault and he feels like he's bigger than the team. Yeah. Um. The way that like the way he was in the garage in Abu Dhabi, kind of, you know, there in the background making his presence felt. He. he this isn't somewhere like Ferrari or Mercedes or Red Bull where he can go in and he wouldn't be able to get his way. This is a team that he knows is going to listen to him and is going to look up for him, to him. And I don't know if that is the best thing for Renault. But you said that, but it could also be a good thing, right? Like you bring up this guy who was the last time you won the constructors. Did they win the constructors? I can't remember if they did, but we won the... Yeah. Driver's title for the last driver titles you won. The last time Renault were dominant, it was this guy, and you put him up there. Uh, you say it might have a negative effect. Yeah, I, I mean, I know he's a toxic guy. Like the way it ended in McLaren, the first time round in Ferrari. Like, but it could also sh- surely inspire people, right? You could go, wow, this is a guy that took us to the heights last time, and sort of like. There's nothing to say like, oh, maybe it gives the team a lift. Like, oh, I'm working for no decision, Danny Ricardo, and it's a lovely bloke. But surely some people will go, shit, it's Fernando Alonso, two-time world champion in our car, blah, blah, blah. Then Danny Ricardo, lovely guy, funny Aussie guy, but you know, he's won like 10 races in his career. Does that, does that make sense? Like, am I just chatting shit? Yeah. Uh, again, it's going to be one of the interesting stories going forward, I think. Yeah. It's it's gonna be entertaining having alone. One way or the other, it's gonna be well, entertaining. Yeah, one way or the other. It'll be entertaining. I mean, on social, certainly on social media, the the general consensus seems to be that you know most people don't really want him back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree entirely when you see the pictures pictures of Alonso in the garage in Abu Dhabi. He just, he, yeah, he. <sighs> It just looked incredibly uncomfortable. Um, I, th- I hope Ocon smashes him next year, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, that's another thing, right? Like, we've seen from Drive to Survive when Ocon and Perez were together. Ocon does not hold back. Like, he's not no. there to play the number two role and just be a little bot to Alonso and just kind of see how it goes. Like, he was the rookie driver against Perez, a seasoned veteran. And he was having absolutely none of it. Like, he came across as a bit of a prick at times, but he was there fighting him wheel to wheel. And I just don't, I kind of agree <laughs> with you guys that. Like, I just don't see how that's going to end well. Because Ocon is not going to lay off Fernando. Like, there's just no, like, that's just not how he rolls, right? And, and. I, I, I think it depends what kind of Ocon you get, though. I mean, yeah. for me, he was one of the more disappointing drivers of the season because, mm. you know, when he was a when he was at racing point alongside Perez, they were very neck and neck, wheel to wheel for most of the season, and there was such well, an he was, outdoor he was when he was the Mercedes drive, wasn't he? At one point, like, yeah, they were like, yeah, he was, and he just kind of fell off completely. There was uh, there was a huge outcry when he was dropped. At, um, yeah. yeah, the end of twenty eighteen. And I think this season he he's, he just hasn't looked comfortable or confident in the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind of hopeful that the last few races he's turned it around. He got a podium. He qualified Ricardo in Abu Dhabi. So maybe if he can carry this momentum into next season, he might be a bit closer to Alonso. But it, it, it's always hard to compare drivers over yeah, one yeah, season. Definitely. Um, right, we are... The time is running up, so I, I do want to end this. Before I end this, one question, because 2021, Daniel, who scores more points? Sebastian Vettel or Fernando Alonso? <laughs> uh, 
I'm going to go with Vettel. Ooh, that one hurts. That did hurt. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But I think, I think, I think it's going to be close. I, I think it'll be close. Uh, before we go, do we just think it's going to be another Merck domination, or do you boys think Red Bull have a shot? Merck domination. Yeah. Yeah. I think they've taken the foot off the gas the last three or four races, um, and I, I, you know, I, I just can't see. I, everyone will get excited about, you know, this will be. Oh, everyone will talk about yeah. for next season. Everyone will talk about. Oh. Red Bull, you know, Verstappen, yeah. yeah, exactly. And then historically, don't really start the seasons particularly well. No, so they never do. I think they'll, I think it will we'll rock up in Australia as we always do. We'll be getting up at four o'clock in the morning. And it'll, be <laughs> Hamil- it'll be Hamilton, Bottas, and Verstappen, or Hamilton, Verstappen, and Bottas. Yeah. Well, it is going to be an interesting one, boys. I have to say, it's been a pleasure talking to you both about this and. Jamie, I have I have one last question. I will hope. I know we're I know we're dragging on a bit. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned that Alonso was six in your all time list. Yep. So I'm gonna ask, who are your top five? Senna, Schumacher, Fangio, Hamilton, Jim Clark, in that order. All right. Interesting, interesting. Daniel, do you want to say your top five <laughs> while we're on it? Always in a flex. I'm going to say Fangio, Clark, Hamilton, Senna, and Jackie Stewart. I'll go with Oh, very interesting. Stewart over it's Schumacher. Senna. It, 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 it's tight. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, yeah, boys, again, pleasure. And hopefully... Get your boys on before the start of the next season and we can all talk about how class Ferrari are and um, <laughs> testing as they always are. And then they'll be shit in the season as always. Um, but yeah, it has been a pleasure and that is the end of the F1 podcast. And I think next week we are talking about football. Uh, thank you everyone for listening.